Good morning, church. It is a blessing and a privilege to be with you all this morning. Nawasarimia katika jina la Yesu kutoka makanisi ya kibaptisti anema Tanzania. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ from the Grace Baptist Churches of Tanzania. Uh, I was with the churches that I worked with there in Mwanza uh, in August last month. And um, every time that I visit, they say, and greet all the brothers and sisters in America. (laughs) And I'm thinking, that's a lot of people. (laughs) So I do my best to just extend their greetings to you in Jesus' name. This morning, I have a special privilege of opening God's Word with you. And before we even begin, I'd just like to ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we've been able to gather this morning to sing praises to your name. For so many of us in this room, the good news about your Son, Jesus Christ, has transformed our lives and changed us. We are not what we once were because of the power of your gospel. Lord, thank you for the new life that can be ours by putting our faith and trust in him. Lord, we recognize this morning that your word These words that were penned by apostles and prophets through the power of your Holy Spirit are the very words that are intended to nourish and strengthen us in this new life. Lord, I pray for us that as we open your word, as it's read, as we take time to meditate on what it is that you say to us as your church, we pray that you would do your work. Lord, we have sung of your praise in these songs. There are so many places in this world yet, Lord, that people have yet to sing your praise in their language. We thank you for the privilege of having your word, the Bible, in English, that we can read it and study it this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you've done a work in our hearts to not just Give us songs to sing, but that we can sing them from our hearts. Lord, I pray that that would be accomplished in this service, that we would be transformed by your word, but Lord, that we would be motivated as your church to take that word where it isn't, and that you would do that same work in others that you've so kindly done in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've probably all had the experience of going over to someone's house for dinner. And when you enter in, it's quite possible that the host and hostess are still about making the meal. So as you walk in, you ask a simple question. Can I help? Right? Now, in the culture of Minnesota, that foreign tundra to the north, there's, a, there's kind of a passive-aggressive culture, so that when you, you ask, can I help, it may mean that you have no intention of actually helping, but you're just saying what is polite, because that's what you're supposed to say. So you say, can I help? 
And the person then politely says, no, 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 it's okay. We've got it. Even if they're terribly scrambling, trying to cut all the vegetables for the salad. That question, can I help? It could be from your side that you ask that question. It's entirely possible in a family culture when you go over to the host and hostess's house, before you've gotten your shoes off at the door, they're saying, come on over here and cut this. Right? They're not even waiting for the question, can I help? They're engaging you because there's a task to do and we all need to be a part of getting it done if there's going to be a meal on the table that we all share. Well, in a real way, Paul, as he writes to the Romans, he does the latter and not the former. He's not waiting for the Romans to say, can I help? He says, here, take this. There's a job you have to do as a part of the task of getting the gospel to the nations. The Apostle Paul was a missionary. He sought to take the gospel where it wasn't so that others could know the fame and glory of Jesus and put their faith and trust in him for salvation from sin and a new life lived forever with him. He sought to expand the reach of the gospel. And as a part of that, he wrote the epistle to the Romans. Now, most of the time we treat the book of Romans as a treatise on Paul's gospel. Like he's intending to write a systematic theology of salvation. And certainly he does that in many respects. Walking through and answering question after question to explain what his gospel is. But we could lose sight of what his purpose was in writing such a letter to the church in Rome. Paul writes his letter explaining what his gospel is as an apostle of Jesus Christ so that he can cause the Roman church to unite with him in the task of taking the gospel to another place. He wants them as the church to recognize what part they have in seeing God's glory go to the nations. So even as we read this text this morning, as we consider what Paul says to the Romans, I'm prayerful that you, Crossway, will consider what God's saying to you. All too often, we have the misunderstanding about the task of missions and about missionaries. That if someone in the church gets excited about missions, that means they should go. God intends His church to get excited about missions, whether they go or stay. And He intends each and every one of us to have a role, to have a part in seeing that gospel go to the nations. So that's what Paul is intending to do through his letter, and specifically in chapter 15, which is where our text is this morning. We are going to begin looking at Romans chapter 15. Uh, I will start reading in verse 8. And if you permit me, because God says that we should not set aside the reading of his word, I'm going to read from verse 8 uh, to the end of the chapter, which is verse 33. And you can follow along with me. I am reading from the ESV. The word of the Lord says, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. 
as it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles, among the nations, and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, or O nations, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you nations, or Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him, that's in Jesus, will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in a priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles or the nations to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered in coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing. As I go to Spain and be helped on my journey there by you, once you have enjoy, I have enjoyed your company for a little while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles or the nations have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy 
and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is God's word. This morning, I'd like you to consider three questions generally about this whole passage that I think give direction to what it is that Paul is intending to do here in Romans 15. These three questions are, why did Christ come? Why did Paul go? And what should we do about it? And I'll say quite frankly, I'm going to spend the vast majority of our time on number three. Okay? I want you to see, though, why it is that Christ came and why it is that Paul went so that we as a church can recognize what it is that God intends for us to do about it. So why did Christ come is in verses 8 and 9 here. Now certainly, if I ask this question to you, why did Christ come? You could give many different reasons. Christ came to save sinners. Christ came to reveal God the Father to us as humans. Christ came to give hope of a, of a resurrection life that shows us that He is remaking all things. Certainly there are many purposes that Christ had in coming. But look specifically at the one that Paul highlights in verses 8 and 9. He says, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. So we can say that Christ came so that all nations would glorify God. You see that in verse 9? Christ became a servant to show God's truthfulness and, verse 9, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. All nations will glorify God by seeing God's faithfulness to His promises. When we talk about the Great Commission, we're usually referring to Matthew 28, 18-20. If you've been in church for any number of years, you've probably heard the command to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right? The Great Commission of Matthew 28. What is often overlooked is the Great Commission of Luke 24, where Jesus makes clear that he came to fulfill the words of all the apostles, excuse me, of all the prophets that came before in the Psalms and in the law and in the writings. So that through his death and resurrection, the glory of God would be seen among all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Go back and look at Luke 24 later this afternoon. And recognize that God has a purpose in fulfilling His promises to show His truthfulness. All the way back from Genesis 12, when God called out Abraham among the nations. And He said, I will make of you a nation. He said, I will bless you so that you will bless all the nations. And from that time and on through the entire scriptures, we see that God is intending to promise his salvation and then fulfill that promise so that all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. And that includes 
most everyone in this room who is not a Jew. Because the gospel has come to the nations, including us. And we, by God's grace, have seen his faithfulness to his promises and his mercy to those like us that otherwise would never have known his message apart from it being proclaimed to us through ministers of the word. So Christ came so that all the nations would glorify God. When Jesus was on the cross, he was intending on getting glory from every tribe and tongue and nation. And there is one day when we will see a choir that is assembled around the throne of Jesus that sings. And that choir will consist of peoples that surround this earth. And Jesus deserves all of their praise. That's why he came, to glorify God and to be glorified among the nations. Our second question, why did Paul go? Look with me at verse 20 in our chapter 15. Verse 20, Paul says this, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Paul went because many nations still need to hear of Christ's salvation. So Jesus came so that all the nations would glorify God. The reason Paul went was because there are so many nations that have yet to glorify God. We'll come back to this verse a little later. Because we want to answer this question this morning. I want to get down to some brass tacks with you guys. But what is a church like Crossway supposed to do if Jesus came to get glory from all the nations, if missionaries like Paul go because God is not getting the glory that he deserves in this world, then what are we supposed to do about it? I hope that what we look at through the rest of this chapter is very practical as you as a church consider your part in the Great Commission. Because we must all find our part in getting God the glory he deserves among the nations. And when I say that, I mean every member of this church has a job in seeing God glorified among every tribe and tongue and nation. How will all the nations glorify God? Well, Paul has told us here that some missionaries need to lay foundations. We've already looked at that in some respect. Paul laid foundations for churches where Christ wasn't named. He, he went into places that as yet we would call pioneer areas, frontiers for the gospel, tribes that have yet to hear of Jesus. Now, it is remarkable what Paul says in this passage. Overwhelming to recognize what he is saying. We read in verse 19 that Paul says, the second half, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. <laughs> this is a pretty big area. It's really easy to read over those geographic names and not recognize what Paul just said. He says, I've been doing a job 
from down here in Jerusalem all the way up to Illyricum, I'm done. I need to move on. And my first response to that is to say, there aren't any other people who need to hear the gospel here, Paul? Like, how many thousands do you pass by as you move from Jerusalem to Illyricum that you didn't preach the gospel to? But he says, just a little bit later, that he has no longer any work to do among these areas, so he needs to go on to Spain. If you and I read this, we may be saying, Paul, maybe you haven't understood what your job is, right? Like, you're supposed to be sharing the gospel with people who don't know it. Obviously, there's still more work here to be done. Paul, I think, would tell us, obviously, you don't understand what my job is. Paul's job was to lay foundations in places where the gospel wasn't yet. Once he laid the foundation, he moved on to lay another foundation, and another foundation, and another foundation. However, some missionaries build on foundations. You have missionaries like Timothy, Titus, Apollos, and others that followed behind Paul and built on the work that he did. So while certainly Paul went into a place sharing the gospel for the first time among a new people group, when some believed, he gathered them together, and oftentimes he was already moving on to a new place. But he never left that church behind. He always had others coming alongside of him, like a Timothy or Titus, to raise up local leadership in that context in order to help them to, to, to mature and be discipled so that they could stand on their own. Since it's just a couple of pages over, you can look with me at 1 Corinthians 3 and see this in verse 10. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 10, Paul says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And then this phrase, and someone else is building upon it. Paul understood that it was his job to make the gospel clear in a new place, and then he had others that were helping him establish that gospel in that place so that the church could be strengthened and they could build themselves up. But then ultimately, all churches must continue building themselves up so that they can help missionaries build elsewhere. A missionary should never perpetually be in the same place. You're either building foundations, you're building on foundations, but the goal is so that that church can build itself up. Turning back to Romans 15 there, look with me at verse 14. This was actually something that I think I recognized afresh, maybe for the first time in this passage as I was studying. As Paul is talking to the Romans about their job, their part in seeing the gospel go to all the nations, he says this in verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. 
So Paul's intention was to see that they would have the character, conviction, and competency to keep ministering even as the other workers moved on. And you see that even in the pastoral epistles like First and Second Timothy and Titus where Paul is instructing that other missionary, Timothy or Titus, to say, this is what the church needs in leadership. This is how the people should be instructed to live as the church where they're at. And so it was their job to build them up. But ultimately, as 2 Timothy 2.2 tells us, Timothy was supposed to take what he had been given as a standard of faith, as as a theology, as a, as a, a common faith, and then share that with other faithful men who are able then to share that with others. It wasn't Timothy's job or Paul's job to stick around and share it with everybody. It was their job to make sure first Paul establishes beachheads, and then the rest of the military comes behind to establish a headquarters and a base, so they now have an advanced position to see the gospel go forward. And we're not talking about a battle with bullets and missiles. We're talking about a a battle against darkness, and the weapon is the word of God, the gospel. But the goal always was to see the gospel take root so that people, like the church in Rome, could be said to have the character, competency, and conviction to continue doing ministry on their own. And Paul would certainly come through to encourage and bless, but he wasn't going to stay around long. He says, I'm going on to Spain by way of you. And as I pass by, I'll stop in and be refreshed. But you couldn't keep him there too long because that wasn't his job. He wasn't there to stay. He was was there to see local leadership raised up, the gospel to have a beachhead, and then he's on to the next place. So I, I would commend to you, as we consider the task of missions, the church here, and your role in missions, that you consider these three roles. First, those missionaries that go to lay a foundation, those missionaries that build on that foundation until there's an established church that can build itself up, and then they move on. And you, Crossway, are an example of what it looks like for a church to be established and built up. And now it's your job to be a part of sending, as Pastor Mark prayed, sending others to take the gospel the way that it has come here. So I'd like to give you what I think from this passage are five ways, five roles that can be fulfilled in a local church like yours. And when I say each of these ways or roles, I'd like to make a qualification first. I don't think that Paul was intending on everyone in the Roman church doing every one of these, okay? But I think his intention was that everybody was supposed to have a part in seeing the gospel go and God get his glory among people who don't yet know him. So as we look at these through this passage, I hope that you each would be considering what part God intends for you to have in this church in seeing the Great Commission fulfilled. The five roles that we're going to look at is the goer, the sender, the intercessor, the welcomer, 
and the mobilizer. And these five terms aren't original to me. I have a good friend named Rick Davis who has a great ministry in Minneapolis called Engage Global. He's been serving our church locally there uh, through that ministry, and I'm blessed to see these five labels. But as I was studying this passage, I saw each of the five, and I said, all right, Rick, I'm going to borrow. <laughs> First, the goer. The goer starts and establishes the church where it isn't. This is what Paul was. This is what Timothy was. This is what Titus was. In some form or fashion, this is what I have been and our family has been as we've served abroad. Paul says here that it's a grace gift to be a goer. Look with me at verses 15 and 16. Paul says, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Paul understood that his role was not something that he took on of himself. He understood that there was an enabling grace by God laid upon him as a servant of the Lord for him to minister the gospel in this particular way. I think implied in that term, he is saying that this isn't a grace that is given to everyone. Right? It's a grace that was given to him. Now certainly Paul is speaking specifically about his role as an apostle which there can be and necessarily should be a distinction between apostles and missionaries. Missionaries are not delivering from God revelation, right? But the task of the apostle as a sent one to take the message to those who have yet to hear it is parallel. And I would say here, it's a grace gift to go. Oftentimes, if a missionary has a chance to speak to a church like yours, almost everyone in the church is going to say, well, now, does that mean we all got to go? No, it doesn't mean everyone has to go, but it does mean someone has to go. And in this church, I believe by God's grace, he is giving people the grace to go. So it's possible that you, in the midst of this body, are one of those that God intends to raise up because he is ministering to you a special enabling grace to be a goer from this church. Do not discredit that. Starting and establishing new churches elsewhere hinders a goer from staying too long in one place. This is the language that Paul uses here in verse 22, which I already alluded to. For this reason, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Paul has this work he has to do in laying foundations and it keeps him from spending the time to go to Rome. Implied in that, I think Paul is making clear to us that missionaries, goers, have a job that will confine them from staying. We've been in a very awkward position as I am pastoring temporarily at our church. And I love that the church body we serve Often I get comments of the kind that say, wouldn't it be great if you guys could stay? And I want to reply to that, yes, it would be great if we could stay. 
I would say that we have felt a compelling burden that we can't because there is work elsewhere that we believe God intends for us to do. And I think that God can grow that in the hearts of members at this church as well. Where you would say, I love Crossway and I would never want to leave. But I think I have to. For the sake of God's glory among the nations. A goer works in a church only until it is self-edifying. Verse 14. As we already read, Paul made clear that he understood the character, conviction, and competency of the Roman church such that he could say, verse 14, you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. I believe that's the very reason why Paul couldn't hang around in Rome and he wanted to see that as a means of going someplace else. You and I need to recognize that as you have missionaries sent out, You want to love on them, you want to serve them, you want to bless them, but you want to equip them to go. Now certainly we don't want to be the kind that says, good riddance, get out of here. But we do want those that we send to know that we want them to keep going. And we want to encourage and bless them in such a way that they are enabled to keep going for the glory of God. And that means that in a context like your church, you have to understand that things like the equipping hour are a part of seeing the Great Commission done because you want your missionaries to know, we don't need you that much right here now. We are building ourselves up in the Word. We are raising up local leadership. So we don't need you to leave off with your work among those people. We've got it covered, in a sense, by God's grace. We are building ourselves up. Go. We need to send missionaries out from an overflow of good gospel ministry in local churches. And one of the ways that we can best support goers is by building up healthy churches locally. We need goers to the unreached and goers to the reached until churches can build themselves up. I would just make a comment here that your church isn't really old, but some churches that are will have well-established missionary programs where they have missionaries they have supported in one place for 35 or 40 years. And there are places in the world where it's going to take 35 or 40 years in one place to see one church established. That is completely possible given the resistance to the gospel in certain contexts. That said, it's entirely possible that a missionary can stay on as a pastor when they should be moving on. So they can lay foundations, they can build on foundations, but at some point the church has to build itself up. And everything that we do as workers, goers, needs to be about seeing that church established in such a way that it can perpetuate God's work in that place so that the missionary moves on to another place. So just as an exhortation to you as a church, even as you continue to support missions, just recognize the need to encourage the workers you send to be about going to go and go and go again. 
and not going to stay and stay and stay longer. So that's the goer. It is my specific prayer this morning that God would be working in some hearts today and in months to come, that God would lay it on your heart and give you an enabling grace to see not only ministry done locally, but by His power, you be used to to go. But I still have four other roles that I'd like to bring to you this morning. If you're not a goer, no problem. You've got a job. Come in the kitchen. Let's help. Sender. A sender focuses on coordinating support for goers. And I think we see that as Paul exhorts the church in Rome. First, he says they provide them rest and refreshment. Verse 32, we already read it. So that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Most of the time, goers have something you'd call furlough, home assignment, the like. And a specific intention of that, I think biblically, is what we see here. They need to be encouraged and blessed. They need to be received with joy. Something about keeping company. Look at verse 24, the very end. Paul says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. There's been plenty of times that very graciously people have asked my wife and and me, how can we help you and encourage you? There's been times where I've said with fellow church members, you want to go on a walk? Like, I would just be blessed by your company. Very often as workers are sent, they are ministering in contexts where the church yet isn't or isn't strong, and they don't have the same kind of Christian fellowship that you enjoy on a week-to-week and day-by-day basis in a local context like this one. So as you receive your missionaries back for a time of rest, for encouragement, for blessing, just think about being with them. Let them be a part of the church life. Let them enjoy your company. Let them be a part of a prayer group or small group. It may be that you don't need them to minister in every capacity as soon as they come back. They may be refreshed by that too. Sometimes it's nice to preach in English. Also, Senders can help by giving financial support to help those who are going. We saw this in verse 14. He says, by way of the Romans, he will be helped on his journey. I have lived, by God's grace, on financial support that has been provided by local churches. The work that I have been able to do has been enabled by local churches like yours. And I'm not unique in this. Those that go very often need financial support to do it. Giving is a way that we support that. Paul understood that. We should too. And even here I just quote uh, from 2 John, 3 John, verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, meaning the brothers who were sharing the gospel, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So the writer, the apostle John, was commending a church for how they received 
those who were ministers of the gospel and told them it's a good thing to send them off because the way you treat them shows your care for God, not just your care for this minister. Paul understood that and he was exhorting the Romans even as he said, come into the kitchen. Join me, help me as a sender. It may be that in some specific roles because of a friendship you have with a goer, because of a small group that decides to adopt a goer in this church, you have a specific ministry of blessing, of sending, that may be unique among the church body. Thirdly, intercessor. An intercessor participates by earnestly petitioning God. Look with me again at Romans and 15 and verse 30. I appeal to you. This is strong language. I beg you, is what Paul is saying. By our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. It's, it's almost as though he is wanting them to vow. I exhort you with the witness of Jesus Christ and his Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. That's a big job. We all too often devalue what God accomplishes through the prayers of his church. It's so often that we can say, and pray for the missionaries. That's kind of the tack on that we put onto the prayer. I said it in the equipping hour earlier, I'll say it again here. There is going to be a day when we are around the throne of Jesus and God will make clear to churches like this one what he has accomplished through your prayers. When I've had to leave Tanzania and we are doing ministry from a distance, I've had to convince myself and repeat to myself again and again that my prayers are better than my presence. You need to be convinced of that too. If you are not a goer, that does not mean you do not have a vital role in the success of the gospel in the places it is being taken. So as you send people out, you don't just pray for them because you're supposed to pray for the missionaries. You pray for them because God has specifically ordained that through your prayers, he will accomplish your work, his work. Really, he will accomplish your work. Do not devalue what you could accomplish through an impromptu prayer for a worker. Do not make light of what would be done if your small group decided to say, and every time we get together, let's remember so-and-so. We need to pray for laborers to go to the unreached. Jesus' words in Matthew 9.38 he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. If I can make a specific exhortation to you as pastors here, thank you for your pastoral prayer in the worship service. Can you make a specific line? It doesn't have to be every week. But remember an unreached people before this church. Uh, we've been challenged in this way as our local church, and it has been remarkable just week by week, saying, pray for the Kohli in India. Pray for, 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 for Bangladeshi 
Muslims. Pray for, and just bringing that before the church as one of the prayer requests each week keeps before us that there is a global priority that we can so often lose sight of because we pray domestically. And and meaningfully, we pray for missionaries. We should. We've seen that. But Jesus tells us we're supposed to pray for where the missionaries aren't yet. You pray for the Lord of the harvest, that he would send laborers into his harvest. God, send workers to go to places they're not yet. There are wonderful apps that you can use. Joshua Project has a people group of the day. You don't even have to think about it. It just pops up on your phone. You could set it with a notification. If you didn't notice during the equipping hour, I had an alarm that went off at 9.38 because a friend exhorted me that Matthew 9.38 would be a great reminder, and that signals me to remember to look at my app. I'm going to have to do that later because I didn't do it while I was talking to you all last hour. (laughs) We need to pray for goers to have protection, success, and joy. And we saw that in verses 31 and 32, but I think it's worth looking again. Paul was begging the Romans to pray for him to God on his behalf, verse 31, that I may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, and that by God's will I may come to you with joy. Ask the Lord that workers would be protected because there are many threats and dangers as they serve. Ask the Lord that he would give success to their ministry because they are laboring day after day and not always do they see fruit. Ask the Lord that they would find joy in what they do, that they wouldn't just be begrudging the work that God has given them or feeling bad that now they feel shackled into doing something like this. Will I ever get out of this work? Paul wants them to pray that he would have joy in his labor. Welcomer. I'm not going to say a whole lot here, except for the fact that welcomers are those that receive the nations that come to us. Paul specifically is exhorting the Romans to consider how it is that they would be a part of sending him out. But we would miss this. This verse we did not read when I previously read, but read verse 7. Romans 15, it says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The context of that verse is all of chapter 14 and the beginning of 15, where Paul is exhorting a church that's very multi-ethnic. You have Jews and you have Gentiles, nations, pagans that have come to Christ. They come from very different backgrounds. And Paul is saying, in that context, make sure that you are extending welcome to others the way that God has welcomed you in Jesus. Well, certainly that means, you know, we should have ministries like greeters out front. But it means so much more than that. In the context of the passage, it meant those who have accepted the gospel should be willing and ready to extend a gracious welcome to those who are different than them culturally, ethnically, and the like. 
if I can make a plea here, we live in a unique nation where there is so much immigration. People are coming from all over the world, from places we find it very, very hard to get Christian workers into. In 2018, our church provided us an opportunity to stay in an apartment just a few blocks from our church. It's pretty much you know, a western white suburb. In that apartment complex, just down the next building, is a man that was from Saudi Arabia who was doing his doctorate in agriculture. Not sure what they were going to grow in, in, in Saudi Arabia. Um, irrigation, right? Bakersfield. <laughs> um, I mean, how hard is it for us to get workers into Saudi Arabia? He was right down this road from us. In our context in Minneapolis, the largest population of Somali outside of Somali, Somalia is in Minnesota. 20,000, and we know of less than 10 evangelicals among them. And not even them, it's really sure, because you have to be so secretive. But like, the nations are coming to us. And I would just exhort you as a church that you consider that as an opportunity and not a threat. It is so easy when our neighborhoods change to think, look at those people, they're different than us, they're threatening our culture. They're... I just want to say from this passage that we welcome others the way that Christ has welcomed us. Leave a lot of other conversations to the side. Let's take the opportunity that providentially God has given us for the sake of the gospel that he would be glorified among the nations. And instead of being afraid of them, Let's welcome them as Christ has welcomed us. Fifthly, mobilizer. A mobilizer helps each member find their part in the task. A mobilizer is kind of like that mom in the kitchen that says, Here, cut this up, stir this pot, right? You've got a job. Come on in. We've got to get this meal on the table. A mobilizer is someone in the church that's trying to make sure that each person in the church has found a way to be a part of seeing the Great Commission fulfilled. I'm not going to point to a specific verse in this passage for mobilizer because I think the whole letter is Paul mobilizing the Roman church. Right, we've seen over and over and over again that Paul is pointing out the ways that they can be a part of seeing the gospel go to Spain. I'd just be prayerful for you this morning that there may be some among you that you'd have a specific ministry in your church body you know, as you're looking through the membership role, as you're looking through small groups. You, know, it, you as elders and pastors are thinking strategically, like, of our workers we have sent and support, you know, who's plugged in to praying for these people? Who's plugged in to receiving well our workers as they come back? Who is it that has made it a specific focus of intercession for the kids of these families as they go? Some of you need to have this role of the mobilizer. Okay, I say all of that, and I want to give you some perspective, because it's entirely possible that we may not recognize 
how great the need is currently. The unreached, which I've been referring to throughout my my talk here with you, are people groups that have little or no access to the gospel. Right now, we would say that they're ethno-linguistic groups in the world, 17,432. Of them, 7,402 have little to no access to the gospel. We're talking about 40% of the world that doesn't have access to the gospel that you sing about, that you're hearing preached from this pulpit from week to week. We're not just talking about lost people. We're talking about people that if they wanted to know about God's word, if they wanted to know about the church, they don't have access to it. There is a difference between the lost person down the street and the lost person in Afghanistan. It's not a difference in lostness. They are all eternally under God's judgment unless they believe the gospel. But the person on your street has you. You can go to them. You can share the gospel. You can bring God's message to them and they can believe. Who is taking the gospel to that other person? Well, that's why we call them unreached, because as yet, there's little to no access to that gospel in these places. I just say, I've been doing mission stuff for about 15 years now, and some of these statistics are stunning to me as I consider them. Two, three years ago, as I'm starting to dig into like, okay, where are we going to head in the world? What are we going to be doing? I'm thinking... How did I not know that 40% of the world does not have access to the gospel that I am preaching? In 2001, just for perspective, we figure among evangelical churches around the world, there's 900 churches for every one unreached people group. Like, again, I'm not going to speak about the quality of each of those churches. I understand that there are healthy churches, there are unhealthy churches. But just statistically, 900 evangelical churches for every one of those 7,402 people groups. It could be like, whoa, 40% of the world, we have no idea how we could do that. Well, like, you get a church, and you get another church, and you get another church, and you figure out who has been given the grace gift to go, and you help them get there. There are 40, excuse me, there are 54,056 evangelical Christians for every unreached people group. <laughs> Just let's get some of them together and say, let's pick that group and, 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 and go, right? This one. Americans have recently spent more money buying Halloween costumes for their pets than the amount given to the unreached. I'm just going to let that one sit a little bit. As we prioritize as Christ's church, 
Do we see what God intends to accomplish? It is so easy for us to say, but I'm not the goer. Well, God doesn't intend for everyone to be the goer, but he does intend for every one of us to have our part in seeing his glory among the nations. What is yours? Okay, I'm going to take these in bullet point fashion very quickly. I'm going to try to guard myself from saying too much, but I've been talking to each of you as individuals. I'd like to talk to you corporately as a church, okay? Everyone needs to have a role in supporting the mission. You at Crossway, if you can identify some folks as mobilizers that are going to be specifically helping each member of this church find an area to commit to for the sake of the gospel, praise God. It needs to be the mentality that says, all hands on deck, And when a storm hits a ship, it's not like they say, well, you know, if you want to come, there's a cry, all hands on deck. We need everybody to do their part. I think you can create a detailed plan and patiently pursue it to help finish a part of the mission. Crossway cannot reach 7,402 unreached people groups. What about two or three? Having a specific focus, praise God for those you already have who are, who are seeking out unreached peoples, right? I'm praying for them too. Um, it may be though that you need to start aiming and saying as a church, we're going to start praying for this people and this people and this people. And we're going to start praying that God in our midst or in the midst of fellowshipping churches raises up folks to go to these people because they need the gospel and we're going to make it a priority to pray for them. And here's some specific and concrete steps we can pursue to see that happen. It's going to take time, training, finances. Thirdly, We must raise up local leadership so that we can have people to send. I'm not sure if this is the case in churches that you fellowship with here in in California, but in Minnesota right now, I've seen a number of churches that we've fellowshiped with over the years that don't have local pastors. Things are changing. They're calling up the seminary, and the seminary is saying, you know, actually, we've had 200 requests for, for, for different roles for pastors. We don't have any recommendations right now for somebody. Or you have this kind of uh, switch where a church says, we need a pastor, we need an associate pastor, so we're going to go and ask this guy to come over here, and now you leave a gap in the other church because they have to now find somebody, so then they go and find somebody, and that leaves another gap. But we need to be about raising up local leadership from within our churches so that we have, by God's grace, an excess of qualified leadership to say, go, get out of here, (laughs) take the gospel where it isn't. We need to get more specific about how we budget for missions. We got to recognize and support pioneer works. Some churches support missionaries simply among people who are reached. Having a specific percentage, perhaps, in your missions budget to say, we're going to support pioneer missions, and if we don't have someone to support yet, we're putting money aside until we do. 
Like just to prioritize that this is going to be a part of what we do for missions. We have to distinguish missions from extensions of local outreach. There are many wonderful things that, that, that our church is about supporting, like jail ministry, uh, w- w- women's pregnancy centers. That's really good stuff, and our church should continue supporting it. But it isn't missions as such. Sometimes these things get categorized in a missions budget. I think it would be really meaningful to say, call it local extension ministry outreach. You can come up with a title. Something local. And then understand that missions is about laying foundations and building on foundations, and particularly missions is cross-cultural. But making categories that are clear so that the church, your church, understands the difference. That as we raise up goers, it means we are sending them to take the gospel where it isn't, to build and establish the church where it's still yet needing to be. And then you need to evaluate supported missions to see that they're moving towards self-edifying churches. And I, I, you need to be careful. Don't, don't be creating a standard that's impossible given the resistance to the gospel in the places that you're sending people. But also, be faithfully and thoughtfully holding people accountable as you send them out to say, what steps are you making toward raising up local leadership? How can we help? Do you need more work? Maybe we can send somebody over to help. And then support the pipeline. That may mean supporting a seminary student so he can go. That may mean helping support a ministry that trains people to go. And then lastly, earnestly pray for the unreached and goers of this church. Pray that the gospel will go. And when I say earnestly, beg the Lord that he would do his work. And like I said in the, the, the equipping hour, become righteously discontent that God is not getting his glory among all the nations. And then beg the Lord that that wouldn't be so. So with that, I close with a question. Which people groups are going to glorify God for his mercy because you, as an individual, took up your part in this church to get the good news to them? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness in Christ to us. Thank you that we can know your grace and glory through the gospel of Jesus. But this is a stewardship, Lord. And we recognize that you have charged your church to go, to support, to intercede, to welcome, and to mobilize. And we ask, Lord, for Crossway that that would happen. Bless this church, Lord, that it would be a center of global missions, that you'd raise up leaders in the, in the midst of this body, that you'd give them the chance to go on behalf of this body, and that you would use your people here to support and encourage and bless that work. Thank you for the partnership this church has had with us, 
We're grateful, Lord, for your kindness in, in doing your work through them. And we pray that you would bless them for it. In Jesus' name, amen.